Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. I think we've got a great day uh, ahead of us, and I'm really excited. Um, So we're going to be hanging out in Ephesians chapter 3 today. We're continuing our sermon series in the book of Ephesians. And uh, if you're just joining us, we are smack dab in the middle of our study in the book of Ephesians. So I want to encourage you guys to go back and watch some live streams or listen to some podcasts, sermon podcasts on our website, and you guys can get caught up uh, in the book of Ephesians. But um, uh, let, me, let me guys ask you, well, I need um, to ask you guys a, a question today. Um, and I'm just wondering if I'm the only person who deals with this or struggles with this, but anybody easily distracted today? Not even today, but just in your life. Like an easily, okay, wow, that is like three-fourths of us. That's not usually good for a preacher to know uh, as he's getting ready to, to start a sermon. But, but I get it. I understand uh, because I'm that way too. And uh, more, it's crazy because as my life has gone, I get more and more distracted and I have more and more distractions in my life. So I don't know about you, but uh, man, sometimes even when I'm doing stuff with God, like I'm trying to pray. Anybody ever like get distracted when you're trying to pray? That ever happened to anybody? Happens to me all the time, right? It could be anything. Like uh, you're sitting down to pray and you're just like, Lord, please be with, you know, with Mark today. I love Mark. Please be, you know what? I should text Mark and find out what Mark's going on. Come over here. Has that ever happened to anybody? You know, or, or you're sitting there praying. You're just like, uh, Lord, I love you so much. And then like the dog just starts barking at you, right? Uh, maybe that's just chipper. But like you start getting really distracted or you start praying and then all of a sudden like your children need something or they're bothering you or somebody comes up to you and you're like, you know, your head is buried and you're mumbling to yourself and they're like, hey, I'm sorry, I don't mean to disturb you. Are you praying right now? It's like, yes, I'm praying. You know, like there's just so many distractions for me. Uh, man, I get totally distracted. Sometimes my dog, uh, sometimes it is, uh, you know, even like uh, I love uh, so much my buddy Zeke. Uh, he's my oldest son, eight years old. Um, but Zeke wants to do everything with me, and I love that so much. But sometimes I just need to pray, you know, like to myself. Well, not to my, I don't pray to Brandon, but I pray to God, but I need to pray alone, right? Uh, I don't know if anybody who has kids has ever felt that before. But here's what's crazy. I'm super extroverted, so I don't even like to be alone, but every now and then with three kids and a dog in my house, I just need to be alone. Is anybody feeling me? Am I preaching yet? Like, I just feel that a little bit. Like, I just need some of that alone time. And uh, and so then my kids are so sweet because sometimes Zeke will come in. He'll be like, oh, are you praying? Yeah. And he'll be like, great. And he'll pull up a seat and be like, what are we praying for? I'm like, oh man, God, is this a test? You know, like, um, and so there's just all sorts of of distractions. Um, Sometimes you're praying for your day and you're just like, Lord, please be with me at work. And then you start thinking about work stuff and your to-do list. And then you got to hop on this because you don't want to forget that. And then it's 15 minutes later and you're like, yeah, I didn't pray. Like I prayed for like half a second. And so um, sometimes like when we pray, we can get really distracted. Well, today what's going to happen is we're going to read Ephesians chapter three and we're going to read the whole chapter um, because I really want you guys to see like the whole chapter. And we're going to spend a lot more time in a certain section of it than we are at towards the end. And that's on purpose. Um, so make sure you join your community groups. You guys are going to be uh, chatting about some of this uh, in Ephesians in your community groups. But um, we're going to do that, but it's kind of on purpose because what happens is um, the book of Ephesians was written by, anybody know? God, exactly. God wrote the Bible, but um, he used a guy named Paul to write the book. You guys fall for it every time. Um, but uh, he used a guy named Paul to write the book of Ephesians. And, uh, and so Paul wrote this. So what happens is, is Paul starts to like pray and then he gets distracted, like a holy, so, so what I call them, like when, you know, my son comes in, it's like, great dad, what are we praying for? Let me pray with you. 
I don't not call it a distraction. I just call it a holy distraction. You know what I'm talking about? It's like still a distraction, but it's given to me by God. And so I'll thank him for it and we'll figure it out as we go. And so this is, this is kind of what happens to Paul as he starts praying and then he gets distracted and goes on a tangent and then he comes back and finishes his prayer. All right. So for those of you who've ever gotten distracted in your prayer life uh, and you have felt guilty about it, be set free. All right. It's in the Bible. Okay. It happens. Um, and so uh, we're going to be talking about that and we're going to kind of go through. So let me show you Ephesians chapter three, um, start in, in verse one. And I, I want you to, to see this. I'm just going to read a couple of verses and then I'm going to stop and say a few things. But it says this, um, Ephesians chapter three, verse one, if you're there, say I'm there. Great. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Okay, now stop right there. So this is what happens. So Paul's about to say, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles and praying for you. But then he stops and he's like, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, um, you know, on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he's like, actually, let me talk to you for a second. Assume, you know, and then he starts talking. Now, here's what he's about to talk about. And I want to set this up for you guys. What Paul is about to start talking about, he's about to start talking about what the life of a missionary looks like. And so the first place that we're going to hang out at today is talking about what does the life of a missionary look like? Now, I can't just say that at church and move on like everybody knows what we're talking about. Because if you grew up like me in church, or if you didn't grow up in church at all, when you hear, oh great, this is a mission sermon, and you start thinking, like when I think of mission sermons, I grew up in an old traditional church um, where missionaries would come in, and I'm just going to be honest with you, they were awkward, they were kind of like weird a little bit. I guess you have to be a little weird to be a missionary. And uh, we didn't have these nice screens. I was trying to explain this to my child. And I even pulled a picture of them. They still didn't understand it. But they would bring in the uh, overhead projectors. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? With the, with the screens, right? Like, and, and they would, uh, no, 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 somebody pointed up there. No, 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 no. No, I'm talking like a big box that had to be wheeled out on a cart that, that had a big screen and you had to put little transparent sheets on top of it and then it would shine a light and kick on. And most of my professors, this is how old I am, most of my professors in college used these things, which was horrible because here's what the teacher would do. They'd come in, turn off the lights, turn on the overhead projector and it would not make this nice little hum. And that's all I needed to go to sleep. That was it. Like, I'm just passed out immediately. So in my mind, that's what missionaries do. They're weird, they're awkward, they're odd, and they use overhead projectors, all right? So like for me, so when we talk about missionaries, like I need to tell you in our church and what we think according to the Bible what a missionary is. A missionary, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. A missionary is a follower of Jesus. And then you can put a period. That's it. A missionary is a follower of Jesus. See, in the Bible, no distinction was made between regular followers of Jesus and super followers of Jesus. And sometimes that's the way we treat missionaries or, or even pastors or people who serve in the church. We say, oh, well, I'm just a follower of Jesus. I don't have faith like them. They're super followers of Jesus. Guys, that's not what missionaries are, all right? Missionaries are followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a missionary according to the Bible, all right? Now, what that doesn't mean is it doesn't mean you have to load up on an airplane and go to distant countries and go be miserable for the rest of your life because that's also taught in church. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't do that, all right? It just means you don't have to do that 
to follow Jesus biblically. So listen to this quote. It's by a guy, a um, really old guy who died. His name is Charles Spurgeon. And if you ever get a chance to read any of his stuff, you should probably do it. He's a pretty, pretty cool old dead dude. He said this. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. That's convicting. I, I, that even makes me mad to hear that. Because it's so raw and it's so blunt. And it's like, and it, doesn't your immediate response want to go, but, 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 uh, you know. But just sit with it for a second. In the Bible, guys, not in our church culture, but in the Bible, it makes no distinction between someone who follows Jesus and someone who is called to missions. So we as a church, we don't use the word missionary as much as we use the phrase follower of Jesus. Because we want missions to be seen as normal. Being a missionary is normal behavior for a follower of Jesus. And this whole phrase that we love to use, I don't feel called, oh, I love you so much, guys. I'm so sorry I have to tell you this. It's not in here. It's nowhere in here. Nowhere. Because it's not true. And nowhere in it did anyone say, I feel called. Feeling called or feeling not called, not in the Bible. Being a missionary means you are a follower of Jesus, and when a door opens, you walk. So with that, let me read for you this passage, kind of Paul's tangent that he goes on about being a missionary, and then I'm going to point a few things out. I just didn't want you guys to think I was preaching to like two people in here who think they may want to go into missions one day, and here's how you can do that, and everybody else has to just sit back and chill. I want you to see like this is for everybody that's here today who wants to follow Jesus. All right, you guys with me? I'm with you, but I'm mad. Okay, here we go. Ephesians chapter 3, I'm just going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read um, a long section. Here we go. It says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Amen. If you're taking notes, I want you to write some of these points down. The first thing that we see here in this passage is that a follower of Jesus seeks the will of Jesus. A follower of Jesus seeks the will of Jesus. I want you to think about that for a second. In verse 1, right, he says... I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then look back down in verse 13. 
He says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. See, two things stand out to me here. Number one is Paul was in prison. And number two, Paul was suffering. So those two things right there, like when you think about being a follower of Jesus, a lot of times you think, well, life is candy land. Life is fun. Life is great. I have Jesus now. I've got hope, and this is so good. But sometimes the will of God puts us in situations that are really uncomfortable. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this. Um, This is one of those uh, Christian phrases that a lot of times people think is in the Bible, but it's not. They just saw it crocheted on a pillow in Hobby Lobby somewhere. But it, it says this. I don't know if you've ever heard it. It says, the safest place you can be is right in the center of God's will. You ever heard that before? Like, man, I don't want to live outside of God's will. I don't want to live anywhere else because the safest, most secure place I could be is in the center of God's will. Now, listen to me. First of all, that's not a Bible verse. That's just a Hobby Lobby quote. But it's not completely wrong. It's just how you view safe. It's how you view secure. Okay? So the word safe, like, if we're, if we're thinking about that, um, what we're not talking about is absent of suffering, okay? We're not talking about it being absent of suffering. What we're talking about is even in the midst of suffering, I'd rather be with God than to be without Him. So Paul's in prison. Paul is suffering. Don't you notice in verse 1, he says, he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. This is interesting, Because he's not. He's not. He's a prisoner of the Roman government. Okay? The the Romans have put him into jail. But notice Paul even doesn't, he doesn't even see his arrest as coming from the government. He sees it as being a part of what God's will is for his life. He goes on and says, you know, starts talking about how, um, man, I'm suffering in verse 13. He says, don't lose heart because of my suffering. And I just want you to see, like, guys, listen, I don't think it's saying as followers of Jesus, we need to go looking for suffering. I'm not saying like, hey, are you happy today? Well, knock it off, you know, let's go to jail. All right. That's not what I'm talking about here today. What I am talking about, though, is when suffering comes, when trials come, when things are hard, don't lose heart in following Jesus. Because following Jesus does not remove the suffering from your life. Following Jesus gives you a hope in the midst of the suffering in your life. And that's why Paul can confidently say, hey, I'm not a, um, I'm not a prisoner of the Roman government. I'm a prisoner of Christ. I was doing God's work, and this is where God put me, so I know God's in charge of it. And guys, that's how we look at our suffering. Okay, if you're taking notes, write this down. This is number two. A follower of Jesus understands the message about Jesus. A follower of Jesus understands the message about Jesus. Um, Let's go back and read verses two through six. It says, Um, Paul says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, I know this seems like duh, but a follower of Jesus should know what the gospel of Jesus is. Okay, so the thing is, like a lot of times we walk around and we say like, yeah, I follow Jesus. But to be honest, if somebody asked us, great, what's the, what's the message of Jesus? We would have a hard time knowing how to communicate that. Okay, and a lot of times what happens is we explain it off. We say things like, well, Brandon, I'm not a preacher. Brandon, I'm not called to be a teacher. Brandon, I'm not a great communicator. Brandon, I'm an introvert, not an extrovert. And church, I love you, but none of those excuses get us off the hook for knowing what the message about Jesus is. 
And so every follower of Jesus needs to understand what the message of Jesus is. So if you're here today and you're like, well, Brandon, what is the message about Jesus? Um, I try to keep things really simple because things can get overly complicated. Like I said, my life is full of distractions. So the, the more simple things are, the better for me. And so I like to, I like to keep it simple. Uh, number one, Christ came. Christ came. Christ Jesus came to earth. He was born of a virgin, Mary. He, he came to this earth. Christ came. Jesus came from heaven to earth. Number two, Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus came and Jesus lived a perfect life. I don't live a perfect life, but Jesus did live a perfect life. Number three, Jesus died. Jesus died. He gave up his perfect life to, as a sacrifice for our imperfect lives. Number four, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. He claimed victory over sin, victory over death, and proved to the whole planet that he actually is God. And you can trust in him and believe in him for salvation. And number five, Jesus is coming back. And when he does, he is going to make all things new. He is going to take what is dead and bring it back to life. And so that's the, that to me, that's how I communicate the message about Jesus. It's really simple, right? Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and Jesus is coming back. And so every follower of Jesus should know the message about Jesus. But honestly, guys, I even meet professional missionaries, even professional pastors who cannot communicate what the gospel of Jesus is. And so he talks about, Paul talks about the mystery. And he's like, man, I've, the mystery's been revealed and I've got revelation of the mystery. And, um, and so for super spiritual people, like, like he's writing to, they like the word mystery, okay? Because it sounds like, ooh, like it's very mysterious and who can know these spiritual things, you know? And, and the people in Ephesus that he's writing to, that's the world they're coming out of. So Paul uses the word mystery on purpose to pique their interest, to be like, yeah, there's a mystery about Jesus. And everybody's like, ooh, yes, I'm very spiritual. Tell me about it. And he's like, yeah, it's not a mystery anymore. Let me tell you what happened, you know. And he just goes on and like explains to them, the mystery has been solved. Praise God, right? Like, well, this ain't, we ain't got to tune in next week. We don't have to wait for the next podcast to drop to figure out if they're going to solve the mystery or not. Like, the mystery has been solved. Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus rose from the dead. Like, praise God, right? And so, um, what Paul is doing here in this passage is kind of like just flicking the light switch on. He's like, hey, you guys have been stumbling through the dark, and you're like, I know something's in here. I believe in something. I just can't quite see it, and I can't quite grasp it. And Paul says, oh, let me turn the lights on for you. And he turns the lights on, and all of a sudden, there's Jesus standing in all of his glory to go, man, it's me. I am, have fulfilled the mystery. So now I'm not just the God of the Jewish people. I am the God of all people. And all people now who believe in me get to be a part of this one body together. Guys, what a great mystery. You know, I think we live in a time, guys, in our country and even in the world where sometimes it is a mystery of, man, how are we going to bring everybody together? You guys ever get the feeling that things are like more divided now than they ever have been in your lifetime? Maybe you feel that at school where you don't even have certain conversations because things just get so aggressive. Or maybe you feel that at work where you're like, I, don't, I can't even talk to my coworker. Or you have that coworker that thinks everybody wants to talk about it, you know? And like you have all of this going on. And you ever just get the feeling that things are just really divided right now? Well, guys, the mystery of the way there's going to be unity is the church of Jesus. It's that only Jesus... I mean, think about this. Guys, there are people in this room right now 
from, I mean, you may look around and go, well, man, there's not a lot of people here, but guys, there are people here from different nations. There are people here that speak different languages. There are people here that have different backgrounds, and there are people here who believe in Jesus, people who don't believe in Jesus. There are people that vote Republican in this room and people that vote Democrat in this room. There are people from all sorts of different backgrounds that are like all coming together. What on earth brought all these people in this room here at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning? Jesus. Jesus did. Like Jesus is the solving of the mystery. And that's what Paul is trying to get to them. Um, and so guys, like um, I, there's a, an old, another old preacher, but I don't think he's dead. Um, a guy named uh, Al, <laughs> Alistair Begg. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him or not, but He's still alive. Thank you for that confirmation. Um, <laughs> it's hard to keep up sometimes. Um, but uh, uh, if you ever get a chance to go, um, you'll never want to listen to me preach again because his accent is like so amazing. I could just listen to him. Um, I could listen to him read like Google searches. Like I just love uh, listening to him. But he says this. He says, um, the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things except he says it with like rolling his letters and says it much more eloquently than that. But guys, the fact is, followers of Jesus keep the gospel the main thing. They keep the plain things the main things, all right? If Jesus has saved you, you know enough about the gospel to share it with other people. If you're taking notes, write this down. This is another point. A follower of Jesus is overwhelmed by the grace of Jesus. A follower of Jesus is overwhelmed by the grace of Jesus. If you look at verses 7 and 8, Paul says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. It was given to me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Because I want you to see here that a follower of Jesus or a missionary of Jesus, they're overwhelmed by the grace of God. Man, if you've got somebody walking around, they claim to be a pastor, they claim to be a missionary, and they have forgotten of the power of God's grace in their life, run away from them. Run away. Because their life is marred by pride. And pride will lead to destruction. A follower of Jesus never forgets the vast amount of grace that God poured out on their life to save them. And it never gets old, ever. Like this, God's grace is not something that can grow stale. God's grace is not something that you can just get over or, listen to me, mature out of. Man, Paul puts it like this. He's like, man, I shouldn't have even been here. Like, I don't know if you know Paul's story, but you guys can go back and read Acts chapter 9. He shares his story. Paul was like one of the people killing Christians. And Paul's like, yeah, Jesus found me and saved me and changed me, transformed me, and now is using me to help share the good news with other people. He's like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I get to do this? Like, this doesn't even make sense. Like, I shouldn't be allowed to do this. Like, I should have been, God should have punished me, killed me, and forgotten about me. But instead, God saved me and raised me back to life, changed me, and lets me do this. Guys, followers of Jesus don't have to serve Jesus. They don't. They get to serve Jesus. It is a bottomless pit of God's grace. And so as we're serving, it's not a, man, I have to go do this, or I have to go share the gospel, or, well, I don't know, I signed up for this, so I guess I have to do it. Guys, that is a sign that you need to take a step back, take a deep breath, and remind yourself of the cost it took for Jesus to save you. Because what that means is now we're serving in our own power, not the power of God's grace that Ephesians 3 talks about. Because he says, with God's grace came power. So guys, if you're like, Brandon, it's hard to follow Jesus, I know. It's hard for me too. It is hard to follow Jesus. Sometimes we want to go our own way, or our selfishness gets in the way, 
or we start to forget about God's grace in our life. But guys, listen, there it, with God's grace comes God's power to keep going, but you've got to tap into it. Write this down. It's our next, next note. You need to know this. A follower of Jesus proclaims the riches of Jesus. A follower of Jesus proclaims the riches of Jesus. Um, you look at verses 8 and 9 um, in Ephesians 3. It says, This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. God, I want you to see this, that like, especially that, that phrase um, in verse 8, the unsearchable riches of Christ. If you're taking notes or you highlight or mark in your Bibles, would you just underline that phrase or would you write that phrase in your notes? The unsearchable riches of Christ. Because that's what followers of Jesus are obsessed with. But this is what's crazy, that word unsearchable is actually like if you were to go do a word study and you were to look like, what, is, what, what was Paul saying here, unsearchable in the ancient Greek? He wasn't saying nothing. The dude made up a word, okay? There's literally no word for this word in the ancient text, okay? The Apostle Paul, when he got to thinking about how amazing and how rich knowing Jesus was, the dude said, there's not even a word, let me make one up. And so the word that Paul made up was the same idea as tracking someone's footsteps. So imagine like, I don't know, I, I don't look at that, that kind of creeps me out to be honest with you, but imagine like, like an FBI agent, right, that's like been tasked with following someone around. Um, but the problem is they cannot find them, so they just follow footsteps around. And, but the footsteps, like days go by, and there's just more and more footsteps. But it never leads them to the person that they're looking for. All they keep finding is just more footsteps. And it's not like they run out of footsteps. There's just always more footsteps to lead them down the path, but they never find fully like what they're looking for. Well, guys, this is what the word uses to Paul when he describes a relationship with Jesus. He says it's like going on this journey, and right when you think you've like done all that you can do, there's more footsteps. I look at it like a bottomless treasure chest. Think about that for a second. Like if someone just handed you a treasure chest, think about like that scene in Aladdin, right? I don't know if you guys have ever seen that where he gets in the cave and it's just like treasure as far as the eye can see. I want you to imagine something like that and it's a treasure chest and you open it and you dig to the bottom of it and you're like, ha, oh, I'm rich. And then you look and it's filled up again. And you're like, well, let me get some more. I'm rich. And then you just keep scooping and it never runs out of treasure. Guys, that's who Jesus is. Jesus is a bottomless treasure chest. He is a treasure to behold. Like he, guys, is such a treasure in our lives and you can never reach the bottom of knowing who he is. That's how beautiful he is. That's how vast he is. That's how amazing he is. And it's amazing. I, I used to... Um, Served at a church one time. I don't like telling a whole lot of these stories, but sometimes, uh, maybe one day I'll just write a book and put them all in there. But this, this story, uh, I couldn't help but think about it as I was preparing for today's message. But I had just gotten done preaching the gospel at this church, and it was a pretty big church, um, right? It's probably, I don't know, five or ten of, of us. Um, and I had just gotten done preaching, and I'll never forget this group of people came up to me and uh, they said, hey, can we talk to you? And I was like, yeah, I thought they were getting ready to get saved, you know. I was like, yeah, let's talk. You know, it was right after worship service. And they said, listen, we're really concerned about you. And I said, oh, me, what's, what's wrong? And they said, well, you just seem to preach the same message every week. And I was like, no, we just did a series on this, and we just did a series on this, and we've done a series on, like, we've preached through, like, five different books of the Bible. What do you mean I'm preaching the same thing every week? They're like, yeah, but it seems like for you, every, no matter what you preach, you just always talk about Jesus. And I'll never forget, they looked at me and they said, Brandon, we've already heard about Jesus. We know enough about Jesus. We need to go deeper in our faith. 
And I'll never forget, I looked at them and I said, actually, you need to get saved. And, um, and then I wasn't at that church very long um, after that. But guys, listen to me. Sometimes you may come into a church and go, man, all they talk about is Jesus. Guys, that's because we can never get enough. You can never know him so fully on this side of heaven that you are completely satisfied. You constantly, there is more to Jesus to know. So listen, if you have stalled out in your relationship with God, if you feel like, man, I know all there is to know, maybe I need to open up the original languages uh, to study that. Maybe I need to listen to some more podcasts. Maybe I need to get a seminary education like your problem is not with getting more information your problem is without getting enough intimacy with God the problem is not information you can google search the heck out of Jesus the problem is not with information the problem is with intimacy do you want him or do you just want stuff about him well, let's, let's keep reading. Uh, or if you're taking notes, you can write this down. A follower of Jesus has a high view of the church of Jesus. A follower of Jesus has a high view of the church of Jesus. Um, in verses 10 and 11, Paul says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now I want you to notice, this is really weird. He says something really weird right here. In verse 10, he says, okay, so all of this about Jesus, the unsearchable riches of Christ, so that the um, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known, and I think he's going to say that it would be made known to the nations, to all people, to the whole world, but he says that it may be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Isn't that amazing? Guys, what that says to me is that the church of Jesus is a really big deal. Now, it may not be a big deal to us sometimes, and it may not be a big deal to people in our city sometimes, but the church of Jesus is being looked on by angels and demons from the unseen world who are looking at what we're doing, and they are in awe. Like, it evokes so much, like angels are in awe that we have been redeemed and saved by Jesus. Like, they're not, up, they're not up in heaven going, oh, I wish more people would have been there. They're upstairs going, oh my gosh, there are people from all over the world worshiping you, God. This is amazing. And demons, they watch the church worship and they shudder in fear because they know the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? If we viewed the church just a percent of how the angels and demons view the church, man, we would have a much higher view of the church than we really do. But the thing is, we've boiled church down to a Sunday morning experience. And to be honest with you, ain't nobody got time for that. Seriously. If going to church is showing up on a Sunday morning and your pastor don't know your name, you're, you don't have a community group, you don't even know how to get involved in a community group, you got lost in the parking lot, you don't know anybody, like why, why would you come? And angels and demons are not uh, up above looking at us getting lost in the parking lot going, God, you are so awesome. God, you are amazing. Look, he can't find this car. Like he's not, they're not doing that, okay? They are standing in awe of the church of Jesus being the church of Jesus, okay? They're not standing in awe of our worship services. I hate to say this, but I don't care. The biggest mega church in the world, their worship service does not compare to what the angels get every single moment in heaven, okay? They are not in awe of our light shows. They are not in awe of our tech equipment. They are not in awe of our buildings and our programs. They are in awe that people from every nation, language, and tribe would get together, live in unity, and make much of Jesus to the nations together. 
They are in awe of that. Now guys, the church doesn't always get it right, but man, when we do. And I'm not negating those who have been hurt by the church, those who have felt left abandoned or burned or gotten bad information at a church. I'm not, I understand. I want you to know I see you. You're one of the reasons we started this new church. But I need you to know that that is one experience. That's not the church that we read about in Scripture. So even when it's hard to start this new church, be encouraged. Because you are a part of an eternal purpose. Even when banners close down on your fingers, even when tech equipment doesn't work, even when you're, it's early and you're not a morning person, you haven't had your coffee and somebody's whistling, you know, uh, in your face. Just remember, man, I'm a part of something so much bigger than anything else this world has to offer. I'm a part of the church of Jesus. Last, last note here in worship team, you guys can go ahead and come up, but I want you guys to write this last note down. It says, a follower of Jesus draws near to God through Jesus. A follower of Jesus draws near to God through Jesus. If you read verse 12, he says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So what he's saying is like you have this gift of being able to access God with your prayers. A lot of times though, To be honest with you, when you have a ton of distractions coming at you from every direction, it's easier to see prayer as a chore than it is to see it as a gift. But followers of Jesus see prayer not as a chore to be accomplished so that God will love you more, but as a gift to access God himself. Guys, when you pray, you are not submitting a to-do list to the boss for approval. You are accessing the power of the one who with his mouth created the heavens and the earth. That's a big deal. And so I'm not here today to make us feel guilty because we don't pray. I've never sat across from someone and said, so how's your prayer life? And I've never had anyone look at me and go, Brandon, I am killing it. I am the best prayer warrior I've ever met. In fact, I'm praying right now. Like I've never, no one's ever done that. You know what I get 100% of the time? Could be better. And then we explain it away and go, but I guess everybody says that. doesn't have to be. And we as followers of Jesus shouldn't settle for that. We have full-time access to God. So I wanted to end today with the end of Ephesians chapter 3 because Paul gets back to his prayer. <laughs> Aren't you glad for his little rabbit trail, though? After he finishes his rabbit trail, he gets back to his prayer. And so today, I thought, what if we ended not by me teaching this prayer word by word to you, but what if we ended just by praying it together as a church? So maybe you're new to church. Maybe you've never prayed before. Maybe, I mean, don't worry, we're not going to pass the microphone around. We're not going to ask anyone to get up. I'm not even going to ask you to pray out loud so that others can hear you. So don't, don't worry. I just, I just think sometimes if we can't pray at church, where can we pray? And so it may feel weird and awkward because there's going to be moments of like just listening to the music or moments of me not talking. But, and it may take you a minute where you're like, uh, God, I don't know how this works so all right (laughs) that's okay that's okay so what's going to happen is we're going to put these verses on the screens 
And whatever that verse says, that's what we are going to pray. Okay? So I want you to now, if you would, just focus with me. If you're using a phone or a tablet, a piece of advice would be just to put that in your pocket or something. I'm not going to make you do that, all right? But if you want to try. So let's start here. The first, verse 14 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. This is weird because when you would pray, you would usually pray standing up. But Paul says, I'm act actually, when I pray, I get down low. And the difference is humility. And so if you want to get on your knees for this, you're welcome to do that. But if you're not going to get on your knees or you can't get on your knees, then let me encourage you, in your heart, bring yourself low. And so let's all bow and pray. And we're just going to pray. And we're going to ask God to humble us. To make us low so that we can lift him up. Take a moment and just pray. Pray for God to humble your heart today. you to look at verse 15. It says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. This means that Jesus has a people all over the earth. Would you take a moment and pray that God would send many nations to his church and the gospel would spread to many different people? Let's pray that together. Now would you, let's read verse 16 together. It says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So right now we're going to pray that God will strengthen us and give us power from his Holy Spirit for our soul. So would you guys just pray that over your life? No one else's. You pray that over your life today. Look at verse 17. It says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So we're going to pray right now that Christ would dwell in our hearts and that we would have faith to believe in him more and that we would be grounded in love. So would you guys take a moment and pray that over your life today? at verse 18 it says we're going to pray that we could have strength to comprehend with all the saints that just means with all the other Christians 
what is the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love. So would you take a moment and just pray that over your life, that you would, God would help you understand how much he loves you. Let's pray that right now. And in verse 19, it says that we could know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So would you just pray this morning that you can know the love of Christ, this unsearchable grace and riches. Pray that you can know him and pray that your life will be filled with the fullness of God. And then in verse 20, We're going to pray this. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Paul now starts praying and says, we can expect God to answer these prayers. So would you now pray and ask God to do even more abundantly, more than what you just asked him to do in your life? last prayer for today, verse 21, says to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So would you just pray now, would you pray for Impact Church and would you pray that God would be glorified at Impact Church and that he would be glorified through every generation We just pray for God's glory to fall on our church and to do for him to do so much in the lives of people. Let's pray. Then there's the last word of Ephesians chapter 3. And that last word is amen. That's usually the word that we would use to finish a prayer. But the word amen literally means let it be done. You're saying, God, everything I've asked you, I need you to do it. And so together, we're going to say amen as a church. But when we do, we're going to do it as a way of surrender. To say, God, you're the only one who can answer these prayers today. Amen. So when I count to three, would we together as a church, in solidarity of our prayers, just say amen together. One, two, three. Amen. And amen. Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.